A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 194 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herlin, and with me like a universe of legend stories sitting on my bookshelf, the EU guru himself, the count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. So who talks first? I talk first? You talk first? It's hard to tell with all this podcasting apparatus. <laughs> I... I am telling you, my man, I was so pleasantly happy by the candor of Poe Dameron. I mean, that that man, he just became like the new Han Solo. He was Han 2.0 for me, man. I was just loving the guy. So the bromance isn't just between him and Finn. It's a little bit of Mark and Poe. Yeah, apparently I'm like Carl Leclerc with uh, Ray with Poe, I guess. Like, I'm just like... I got the figure, I'm like, I'm going to move Kylo into a corner out of the way, and me and Poe are just going to play with X-Wings till the night gets long. I'm not sure how to respond to that. <laughs> um, so, we've covered one chunk of our year in review. Mark, what are we hitting this time? That, by the way, is my radio person voice. You know, it's not just normal talk, it's, hey, what are we going to cover? Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we look back again over the year of Star Wars. This week's focus being the comics. With next episode, we're going to have the uh, other stuff. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right, we're talking comics, and of course, now that basically means Marvel Comics. If you didn't happen to catch our last episode, just as a preface here, we covered the prose fiction and whatnot, but in the process of doing that, we talked about short stories from Insider, and since we were already talking magazines, we included Rebels Magazine in with that, and Rebels Magazine does include some comics. So that has already been covered. That means that this episode can focus exclusively on the Marvel comics released this year, which means we've got a few ongoing series to look at, we've got some mini-series to look at, we've got a couple of annuals, we've got a crossover, we've got remastered editions, and we've got these huge, theoretically, I don't really think they're that huge compared to the omnibus editions we got from Dark Horse, but these supposedly huge epic collections. So we'll start with the ongoing series, and this year was the first year that Marvel had 
the Star Wars license back again. So we're starting at issue number one on all these different series that we're dealing with this time. So we start with just simply Star Wars, or Star Wars Volume 2 from Marvel, or you could say the third series to be called Star Wars. It's kind of a mess. They probably need a subtitle on it. But Star Wars. This year gave us issues 1 through 6 called Skywalker Strikes and its trade paperback. A short story that's uh, from the Journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi called The Last of His Breed in issue number 7. Then we had Showdown on the Smuggler's Moon, which is issues 8 through 12, and a trade paperback of that will be released next year. There's a lot of stuff being released of trade paperbacks and such early in 2016. And then issue number 13 was Vader Down Part 3, which we'll deal with when we talk about the Vader Down crossover. So Skywalker Strikes, Last of His Breed, and Showdown on the Smuggler's Moon. You know, I gotta say, Marvel's doing it right. Uh, you know, we were talking last episode about the whole quality versus quantity and, you know, the the downfall that many people say Legends had with just so much bad stories. And, you know, I, I brought the focus on this year in canon and what we've got with the books. And in the book area, it was kind of hit or miss. But when it comes to the comics, we've got a lot of gold here. They're all pretty solid. We only have a very slight few that have been, yeah, to uh, get that out of here. Uh, you know, I want to say that the, the Star Wars line and the Darth Vader line are your very strong series out of all this. Uh, Kanan is, you know, I've, I've said before, I really dig on Kanan. Uh, Leia would, would probably be the one that's the one that's the weakest out of them. Uh, and then, I don't know, I would almost say Lando next, but even Lando had a, had a good comeback on the end. So I, I think, you know, when I consider what Marvel did during the prequel trilogy, not Marvel, when I think about what Dark Horse did during the prequel trilogy, uh, you know, in that era, the, the prelude to rebellion in the comics we got then that turned out after the fact to be more or less the tales of characters. And and that's what we saw with the books so far. We're not really getting that with the comics. Now, Shattered Empire, you know, I was talking about how I kind of wondered if we were going to see stuff like that in The Force Awakens, uh, but but we didn't. So. There's those angles of like, okay, when are we going to start really fleshing in? Whereas the books kind of seem to be really tied more into the films. The comics haven't really kind of jumped in that far. They're still playing it more safe. And I'm I'm conflicted as to whether I think that's a smart idea or if they're playing it too too safe, you know? When it comes to the Skywalker Strikes one, though, I, I think that that one is probably one of my favorites. I like the way that they've tied everything in. I like what they're doing with the characters and setting everything up. Uh, you know, the, the Kenobi episode where you kind of see what's going on with the journal and stuff. I, I'm i a fan of flashbacks. So anytime they're starting to kind of add that into canon and stuff, kind of take that whole naysayer away. Star Wars doesn't do flashbacks. Like, give me more flashbacks. I, I'm digging on that. Uh, you know, the whole aspect of the Vader down, I'm... I think that's a series that I'm really looking forward to, but it's an odd one in the aspect that it's crossing over in singles, but we're going to be covering it as a trade. So that element may be gone by then. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I am quite as rosy view when it comes to Marvel. I started out being very excited once they launched Star Wars and Darth Vader. And I think that... I'm more of the, we've gotten basically half good stuff and half stuff that's irrelevant or just there. And they've done some things from a marketing standpoint that really piss me off. So, uh, starting with 
and, and actually most of the stuff that really annoys me is with Star Wars, the, the regular name series. Skywalker Strikes was pretty good. It gave us sort of this introduction to how they're going to deal with things. So we've got this, this fast action sequence and whatnot, the battle on Moon and everything. And then it's giving us the story of how Vader finds out Luke's name, which ties into the first arc of Vader. So that was kind of a cool way to bring things together. And it introduced a mystery. Then we get Last of His Breed. Last of His Breed, to me, felt like a complete throwaway story. It was just, oh, hey, we need a filler issue. Here, let's do this Obi-Wan story that really doesn't mean anything. My hope is that as we get more of those from the Journal of Obi-Wan Kenobi type stories, instead, this will feel like it's part of a broader arc that has some meaning. Just maybe not an arc that is released all together. Maybe something where it's like, here's an issue. Here's an issue a few months later. Here's an issue the next year. But they all wind up linking somewhat. Kind of like how Legacy did that with Hondo Carr. Kind of, yeah. And then you got Showdown on the Smuggler's Moon, which sort of felt, I don't know, it, it didn't really do anything for me. It was a story of Luke basically getting captured and then having to fight in an arena. And really the only really interesting thing was the fact that the hut that he's fighting for happens to be a collector of old Jedi artifacts and whatnot. And you got a couple of cool gimmicky visuals, like a whole bunch of characters pulling out lightsabers and whatnot. But... I don't know, that story just for me felt much more run-of-the-mill and uh, much more basic than what we got with Skywalker Strikes. And part of that, I think, is that they switched artists from the incredible art team on the first arc to Stuart Eminen, whose work I hated on Ultimate X-Men, now doing Star Wars. So Showdown on the Smuggler's Moon didn't do anything for me, really. But Showdown on the Smuggler's Moon... And Skywalker Strikes brings up those two things that drove me nuts from a marketing standpoint. Skywalker Strikes, that was where they launched the series with over a hundred different variant covers. I've talked about this on the show, griped about it, not going to go on a huge rant here. Suffice to say, I feel like their claim to being the number one selling comic is diluted by the fact that they had over 100 different variant covers just for Star Wars number one. Because that means that some of their sales were people buying multiples to get different covers, which isn't a pure number statistically. And when you put out enough covers on your first few issues of several series, enough to have a trade paperback of nothing but cover art. Oh, yes. That's insane. Granted, it's a cool art book, and it's got some cool behind-the-scenes stuff about the art, I like that hardcover trade paperback or trade hardback, whatever you want to call it, that has those covers in it. But good God, you shouldn't have to do that for the number of covers you got for one or two or five or whatever issues of a single comic series. The other thing, though, in Skywalker Strikes, one of the most intriguing elements that made me say, ooh, I wonder where this is going, is the introduction of Sana Solo. This woman who claims to be Han Solo's wife who also happens to be a black woman. So you've got a couple different angles going here, which is the, wait, is she really his wife? Where did this come from? And since she's a black character, not just the racial angle of it, but also setting up, he's like, ooh, is it possible she's related to Lando, the only other really black character we've gotten in the films, at least, for the original trilogy? Is it possible that maybe we got some different meaning for stuff like after what you pulled in Empire? There's all these really cool angles that could have been taken on that. Lots of great speculation. The one thing we were worried about was please, please, please don't let this be stupid misunderstanding. Well, 
it was marriage in name, but not really, or it was for a con, or it was for a trick, or whatever. Freaking ABC, NBC, half hour, primetime sitcom bullshit! Please don't make it that. What did they do? They made it that. Sana Solo was absolutely nothing but a gimmicky, clickbait, oh, let's see if we can get some headlines, line of bullshit that Marvel should have known better in doing. That is way, way below the standard of storytelling I expect with Star Wars. It was stupid, it was predictable, and the only reason people didn't see it coming is because we thought it was so predictable that it would turn out to be that, that surely Marvel wouldn't do that in the very first arcs of a brand new series when they've just got the franchise. Surely they know better. Answer? No. They don't know better. They did the sitcom bullshit. Marvel, you should be ashamed of yourself because that was just f***ing stupid. <laughs> like, hey, let's make Han Solo the MacGuffin. <laughs> we'll be like, hey, his wife's looking for him. Where's Han? Like, I, that was an angle that the potential for awesome was there. You know, the fans, we were reacting. We were, we were contemplating. But I think, again, they were so concerned about, well, you know, we can't be too hinged to the movie. We can't write anything that might hinge that, you know, like I think the sauna solo was thrown out there after they had plans for what was going to happen in the force awakens. And they were like, yeah, that would have been a really cool idea. If you guys would have told us like two weeks ago before we'd already wrote all this other stuff. So we're going to go with this route instead. Uh, when it comes to that book of covers that you brought up, which I'm glad you did. Uh, I'm conflicted on this. Like, I'm 100% with you on the aspect of throwing the numbers out, saying, you know, top selling and all that. That was very misleading. Uh, now, if they only did this once, and I and I say this in a, in a big if because Marvel is known for their crazy variants. They always have a bunch. Uh, they will do, you know, like I, I, like they had this one time where they had a bunch of Venom covers where everybody had a Venom symbiote of some sort where all the characters were covered in Ven Venom symbiotes. Weird stuff like that, where it's just like, okay, Deadpool is like going to have a really big comic series coming out, so Deadpool's on every cover! Uh, those kind of things. And so, you know, like, I worry that we'll see more of that. Like, the book of covers, it was one big event. So, doing it that one time makes somewhat sense, you know, hey, let's get all these artists in here, we'll give everyone a chance to kind of, you know, be part of this big, huge new Star Wars coming back to Marvel event. That's cool. We got this really cool book out of it. But if they continue to do that, I'm I'm with you. I'm in that just all right. Now I'm just getting kind of angry thing. But then I, I kind of I got to check out for myself because I'm like you know, I've always been about just a couple variants. You know, like if the variant's really cool, I'm like oh I got to get that. But for the most part, I'm like I could care less. So I kind of I'm gonna have to roll that route with the I don't care as much. Whereas back when it was Dark Horse, Dark Horse didn't do it as much. So it was a it was a Pokemon thing. Gotta get them all. <laughs> like, oh, there's two variants. Gotta get those ones. Oh, they say 25th anniversary. Gotta get them. Oh, what's this? We got 30th anniversary hardcovers that are only gonna be so many printed if you order them. Oh, better get those. Uh, but Marvel seems like a world of, oh, what you haven't seen this comic in a few years? Here, let's print another one. Um, so I I'm conflicted. Like I I like the idea if they did it as a one time event, but. Knowing what I know about Marvel, I'm really doubtful that this is going to be a one-time event. I have a feeling they'll have another story down the road, and they're going to be like, this is so huge, we're going to give you 300 covers! And I'm going to be banging my head on my desk.
I'm waiting that eventually they'll do the whole, we're going to connect it to some kind of number for the trilogy or number for the films, and we're going to get, like, uh, Star Wars number 50 with 1,138 variant covers. Oh, Which boy. probably wouldn't be too much of a stretch. Um, but, yeah, so that's the stuff that bothers me the most about the Marvel stuff right now when it comes to their their approaches. But, thankfully, we have another ongoing series that has fared a little bit better, at least as far as things that drive me nuts, which is Darth Vader. For Darth Vader, we had issues one through six and a trade paperback, which is the storyline entitled simply Vader. We have the Shadows and Secrets storyline, which is issues seven through twelve, no filler issue in this series. The trade paper of that the trade paperback of that will come out in 2016. And then we have, at least by the end of 2015, we have parts two and four of Vader Down in issues 13 and 14. Again, we'll talk about that when we talk about Vader Down. Bear in mind that issue 14 is coming out after we record this review episode. Yeah, Darth Vader's one that actually surprised me. I wasn't expecting myself to really care that much. Uh, Vader's a character that Legends kind of made the mustache-twirling villain. So, you know, we're in this era of, you know, how do we put bad back in badass Vader? And they're doing it, man. Uh, you know, that Vader down is one that I'm really looking forward to sitting down and reading that from start to finish. Uh, you know, the first issue of that was just like, oh, my God, I really got a kick out of that. Uh, the thing I'm enjoying the most about the Darth Vader series in general is the supporting cast. I think Darth Vader's probably got the strongest supporting cast in the comic series that, out there right now. I think it's hands down. You've got the most unique characters that are there around the main character of the story. Uh, I'm interested, man. I want to know more about Dr. Aphra. I want to know more about the droids. Um, I want to see them more. Uh, you know, my, my worry with that is, you know, Vader being Vader, him being the Sith Lord that he is, and his, you know, his running track record when it comes to minions. At uh, <laughs> some point, she's going to get a... Force choke, man. I mean, that's just what he does. He does not take you know, flaws well, and at some point she's going to run across the big three, and apparently, you know, big three is still the big three and are untouchable, so see how that goes. Yeah, I think this is the series that surprised me most and wound up being really, really good from the start. We got basically Vader still being Vader, as opposed to being watered down at this point, and we have that great supporting cast. I love Dr. Afra and the droids. The fact that they are just, she's kind of nuts, like she's kind of broken, but she's interesting in how her mind works and how she sort of gets a thrill out of all this really dangerous, kind of deadly stuff. And then you got the droids that, unlike Chopper and Rebels, are outwardly homicidal. They're not trying to hide it like apparently Chopper is. So the actual initial Vader storyline, I really, really enjoyed. Then we got the second storyline, Shadows and Secrets, and it's a lot like what happened with the Star Wars ongoing series, where it was like they kicked it off with a bang with this really high-quality first arc, and then the second arc was just sort of there. I could barely tell you anything at this point about what happened in Shadows and Secrets, except for a conversation about what happened with Padme's funeral. Everything else surrounding it, I couldn't give a crap. It's, it's bizarre just how mundane the story became. It's basically all just... An investigation and Vader trying to cover his own butt for six issues. And it's, I don't know, that second arc just really, really fell flat for me. So I'm hoping that we're going to get back to that first arc's quality level as we get to the other side of Vader Down. And of course, Vader Down we'll talk about here in a bit. So, so far, 
we've got some good starts to both of the ongoing series or the the main ongoing series. But I don't know, for some reason, it's like they put their A game out there for the first arc to really get people's attention. And it's like, oh, we're past that. People are reading. People are subscribing. And we can half ass it for the second arc. And that's not a good sign. (laughs) And and what is it with Naboo? But it just seems to be my opinion here. But anytime we go to Naboo, it tends to suck the life out of everything. I hadn't noticed that, but Phantom Menace could be. Oh, no, 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 because then I'll have people out there griping at me saying, you're bashing Phantom Menace. I'm just saying, Phantom Menace spent a lot of time on Naboo. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And and here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we take the approach that every piece of Star Wars literature, films, comics, you name it, has its ups and its downs. Amen to that. Speaking of ongoing series with ups and downs, that brings us to another that actually I didn't think was an ongoing series at first. Something that I was expecting to be a miniseries, which is Kanan. Kanan has the unique perspective of being written by members of the team that has worked on Rebels. And what you've got here essentially so far are two different arcs going that are giving us background on the character of Kanan Jarrus, a.k.a. Caleb Doom. Though there's question, how long can this series go? We had Kanan the Last Padawan, which was technically issues 1 through 5, but then issue 6 was basically an epilogue, and all six of those were collected into a trade paperback this year. Now we've started on the second arc that's more of his first mission as a Padawan as opposed to his last around Order 66, which is entitled First Blood, and as of right now, we've got three issues of that out. That series is still ongoing. I, I got to admit, man, Kanan is a series I am liking. Um, you know, you had mentioned when we did the review in our last few episodes, you know, you were talking about how, you know, you didn't necessarily feel like it was something that that needed to be there. It didn't have to be a story. Like, we wouldn't care if this wasn't Kanan. And, you know, I got to agree with you. But I think for me, like, I, I'm, I'm enjoying Kanan's character in Rebels. And so getting that background, and because it is Kanan, the... I'm having the opposite, like, like where you're kind of like, well, it's so, so it could be anybody and we can care because it's Kanan. I'm really caring. Um, I want to know more, you know, you mentioned, you know, it being a full series. I was in the same boat. Most of these Marvel series, they don't tell you whether or not it's going to be a one through. I, I like it when they do, when they're clear on that, because like, yeah, this one, you know, boom, it kept going, uh, pleasantly surprised by that. But I think this one could go for a while. Um, you know, they're, they're doing what I really like is, it's set in the past during Rebels, but they're still doing these flashback stories. And I think in that regard, that bouncing from the Rebels time frame to back to Order 66 and the Clone Wars and stuff, it gives them, you know, two whole eras really to play with. And the potential for stories here is through the roof. I mean, you can give us all the, you know, the uh, I'm trying to think of which episode of Firefly it was, but there was one of the episodes, I think it was out of gas where, Mal's having flashbacks of how he met everyone on the crew and how they came to be part of the ship. And, you know, I'm hoping that this series eventually gives us that, that, you know, through Kanan's eyes, we're going to see how the crew of the ghost ship comes together. Uh, You know, granted, it's more Hera's story, and that might be more fitting in a Hera comic. uh, But right now, Kanan's the one that's got it. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, you know, we could be seeing it as Kanan's focus, but I'm looking at more as like, you know, this series is giving us the focus on Kanan, but it's telling us about the Rebels crew. So that's kind of the direction I'm hoping it'll continue to go. Either way, though, learning more about Kanan's backstory, I'm enjoying it. You know, I mean, one of the things about Kanan's character in Rebels that's always had me scratching my head is like, what makes him a cowboy Jedi? 
they were touting that for the longest time, and there's really nothing about Kanan that screams cowboy. He rides space horses. That's all. Wrangles puffer pigs. Ugh, see, you had to bring up the stupid puffer pig. <laughs> um, I don't know. This is a series that, and you said it correctly there, if this wasn't about Kanan, I don't think I would care. If this was just a regular random Padawan, I don't think I would give a crap, and it would feel like a generic you know, story that has been told a million times over in other media. Cause there's tons of stories and legends about what happens to this Padawan or this Jedi around order 66. In this case, I like the fact that it's giving us background on Kanan, especially I like the fact that it's essentially giving us the underpinnings of Kanan's psychology for rebels, why he acts the way he does, for instance, when he runs into the clones for the first time, uh, why he questions himself as a teacher and so on. I like all those aspects of it. Again, I wonder how far they can go. Last Padawan gave us, you know, Order 66 and how he becomes Kanan Jarrus. Okay. First Blood gives us his first mission as a Padawan with Depa Bilaba and how he becomes a Padawan in the first place. Okay. There's only a short time between that and Order 66. So there's not a whole lot they can do with him as a Padawan, which suggests that if this series is going to keep going, does that mean we get more stories of him between Last Padawan and A New Dawn? Do we get some stories with him with Hera initially between A New Dawn and the beginning of Rebels, maybe picking up other members of the crew? It's just kind of that question of what is their focus on this and how much of the background of these characters should be in a comic book? Because one of the things that's caused a lot of frustration for people in the past, and especially is happening right now with The Force Awakens, is, for instance, with The Force Awakens, if you want to really understand the relationship between the First Order, the Republic, and the Resistance, or know a little bit about the background of Lor Santeca, Max von Sydow's character at the beginning of the film, you must read something like the Visual Dictionary to have any idea what's going on, because the film itself doesn't provide that context. And the argument is, I shouldn't have to do homework, so to speak, in order to understand the movies. I shouldn't have to read Stover's novelization to get a good experience out of watching Revenge of the Sith. And in this case, they're starting to lean that direction in that you can enjoy Rebels for itself, but if you want the background of Kanan, or the members of the crew, Kanan so far, you would have to pick up the comics instead. And to some extent, that stuff that should be, if not shown, at least mentioned on the show itself, to provide that context, kind of like with meeting a, the old bounty hunter partner of Sabine recently. But I don't know. It's so it's a tricky series for them to do. I like what they have so far as far as what they've given us for Kanan and how it's fleshing out his character. Where anyone else I wouldn't care, and I have real questions about where this series can go and how long it can last. Yeah, there's definitely that thin line there about you know the material you want to put in the books, in the comics that are going to draw the reader there. And I'm conflicted there because, you know, as, as an EU fan, that was always the side of my fandom that I wanted other fans to reach out. It's like, you guys, there is a whole world of other stories that are enhancing star Wars. Come over here and read this stuff. Uh, but now it's like, you've got the same thing, but it's like, as long as they're able to keep the focus on the story, story and, and, and keep the story good without those details. Like I, I think about, you know, you were mentioning uh, Max, Max's character at the beginning in, of the force awakens. And it's one of those, like, you know, as long as the story of the force awakens is good enough that that backstory not being there, isn't going to, you know, stop me and go, you know, wait, why is this guy here? Who is, you know, like it didn't break that wall. You know, I was able to stay in it and now I'm like, Oh, I got this tidbit I can go back to. 
So like, as long as they're able to keep, you know, the details out, but still give us enough details that we're able to enjoy the product while we're watching it and still have something to go back to for more. Like I'm, I'm, I'm glad about that. I'm happy for that, but it's that, it's that thin line. Like, you know, you don't want to save too much stuff that the main product people are watching is boring because like, I, I think about, you know, one of my favorite films, which is revenge of the Sith. And while I still love that film, the Stover effect is definitely what makes that film so much better in my eyes. And when I look at it just as a canon piece, which I have a real hard time doing, but when I do, it's, it's not as favored, you know? I mean, if, if I had to be 100% gut check, honest, you know, revenge of the Sith is only my favorite of the films because of the Stover effect. If I throw canon, you know, and, and throw it up on a pedestal and I leave legends completely behind empire strikes back takes number one again. Well, not anymore after last weekend, but at the time of the original six films, I mean, that was, it was a back and forth between those two and the Stover effect of legends puts, you know, revenge of the Sith above the others. So there's that balance line. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think they're doing a good job right now, but they've got to watch it. They got to be careful because at the same time, you don't want to tick off either set of fans. You don't want the fans that are enjoying the new canon going, well, but I ain't reading them books. I ain't doing it. I ain't doing no EU again. You guys don't keep that stuff canon. You say it's canon now, but what's is it canon two years from now? We don't know. They said Dark Plagueis was canon. It ain't canon now. It's funny you mentioned the idea that without the Stover effect, the approach or, or the, the favoring of Revenge of the Sith really isn't there anymore. I think I've run into the exact same thing. When I was going through and sort of trying to figure out my rankings of the films, for me, The Force Awakens came first, but then came Return of the Jedi and then Revenge of the Sith. And for a while, I've been going back and forth on those two. And I think a lot of what made me sort of knock down Revenge of the Sith is that it doesn't stand as well on its own without the Stover novelization to go with it, whereas Return of the Jedi can. So, yeah, it's definitely something that they need to be keeping an eye on. I think it's ironic, though, now, of course, that you know, you're talking about these people who are saying, you know, well, we don't want to read a book or whatnot, or we don't want to read a comic. And at least back when the Legends continuity was the only continuity, the official continuity, the expanded universe, whatever, that was an optional thing because there was canon, G-canon, T-canon. There was the Lucas-driven stuff, and they could simply say, well, this stuff isn't real. It's just C-continuity canon. It's not what Lucas thinks of as part of his story. And now... We are at the point where, thanks to the story group, everything is equal. Everything is canon. It is all of equal weight. So we are at a point now where all those who are like, yeah, screw you, we're so glad Legends is gone, eat it, are now being told, yeah, but see, now you actually do have to pay attention because you don't have an excuse anymore of saying this isn't as real as this other stuff. The novels count, the comics count. You want the whole story? Yeah, now you actually have to read it, a-hole. And then it gets that exclusive side of things because, like, you know, you, not everyone can afford to get all these things. I mean, you know, Force Friday came out. We have 20 some books that dropped down. They didn't bother telling us which books mattered, which ones didn't. They go, oh, yeah, by the way, of the, you know, the Journey of the Force Awakens, there's a couple sticker books, kids' books, and stuff. You know, about three books, but they didn't bother telling us which ones they were. So if you can't afford to get everything out there, there's that exclusivity. Like, hey, it's exclusive if you have cash. <laughs> Uh, that's the side that, that like, I'm getting irritated about because I'm like, man, there's so many little tidbits out there that I know I'm missing because I just don't have the time and the money, man. <laughs> and that's why you have the Star Wars timeline goal at StarWarsFanWars.com slash timeline. 
but I only get a new edition out every year, so maybe not. That brings us into the miniseries. There were actually four miniseries released this year from Marvel. We had Princess Leia, which was five issues and a trade paperback this year. We had Lando, which was five issues and a trade paperback coming in early 2016. Shattered Empire, part of the Journey to the Force Awakens, which had four issues and a trade paperback this year. And then they're actually in the process right now of releasing Chewbacca. There were four issues released already as of the time we're recording this on December 22nd. On December 30th, way after we need to record this stuff, they are releasing issue number five. So by the time you hear this, that series will also be over. Four miniseries in the span of one year. I guess let's start with Princess Leia. Oh, man, you're dragging us right to the bottom of the barrel, aren't you? <laughs> I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, you know, Leia... Go back to our Leia episode. You're going to hear all the negative about it. I'll try to be more positive. Uh, I liked some of the art. I liked some of the story. Okay, I can't be that positive. I have a huge issue with the Organas being memorialized at the end of the Battle of Yavin. I mean, what the... Like, really? You got a statue of them? and you, uh, It's just so many things about a lot of the backstory in that one was like what the hell are we doing? What the hell is going on? Like I still, when I watch that scene, when Chewie doesn't get the medal, I scratch my head. Now we're going to add Leia talking about her mom and dad over Alderaan and, and all the survivors and the pilots that died. Like makes no sense to me. I, I bang my head on the desk. I'm just like, really guys, really? That's, that's the best. Like even Brian Woods, <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm bringing him up, but even he gave us something with her in an X-Wing that, that I, I don't know. like that, that series, I had more hopes for it, I guess, is what I'm saying. I mean, you know, we're in this whole, hey, we got to have, you know, gender diversity and we've got to have all this diversity. And, and you know, if we don't have more ladies in there and you, you got a Princess Leia comic, like I, I was like, I was expecting some gold. And I, I felt like this is like, like you had said about the Star Wars, you know, I felt like this was the second arc and they just threw their B team in. You know, they're like, hey, we've got the Darth Vader series going. We've got the Star Wars series going. Oh, we got this other one. Who can we get on? Like, I, I don't know. Like, there there had to have been some Leia fans out there that cared a little bit more than the ones that did this series. Because this series, I, I, I felt like it was like another one of those tales of stories. Again, I was like, is this going to tie in in some way? Are we going to hear about the new Queen of Alderaan, the new Princess of Alderaan or what? N nothing. It was just really weird. And I don't know. I mean... I'm conflicted when it comes to Leia because she's a character that I think has such great potential. And I think Legends kind of squandered that potential. You know, she didn't become a Jedi until New Jedi Order and Canon's kind of doing the same thing. And I'm, I, I don't know how I feel about that. And that Princess Leia comic, I had a lot of hopes that they were going to come out swinging with the character. And I felt like in the end, it was like taking Captain Phasma and making her a girl just to say, hey, we're diverse. We're Star Wars. Yeah, this was a series that they were like, it's Princess Leia's first miniseries on her own. Although I would probably say that probably River of Chaos fits that bill from Dark Horse way back in the day. But yeah, the fact that this was Leia getting her own series, they were making a big deal out of it. This should have been an absolute home run. They should have brought their A-game to it. It really, it's, put it this way. I was making dinner last night and I got this thing from the grocery store that's just, you know, throw it into a pot and warm it up type stuff, and it's Santa Fe chicken. And I thought it looked and sounded great. I mean, it looked awesome on the cover of it. It sounds like, you know, all the ingredients sounded really good. But then I cook it, 
And instead of being great like it seemed in concept, it looked and smelled kind of like cat vomit. So, needless to say, I didn't eat very much of it and I wound up going to something else. It was not as appealing in reality as it was in concept. That's what the Princess Leia series was. It's this idea, let's give Leia her own series and make her the headliner, but then when you actually have it in execution, it sucked. As I said many times, that's not Leia. Leia didn't act like herself. Leia acted like a stubborn, spoiled, wishy-washy, uh, down-on-herself-all-the-time teenager. Uh, the, the whole, you know, if things would just stop going wrong for two seconds, whiny Leia isn't the Leia that we know. Now, it gave us seeds, it gave us Evan, who hopefully will come back, and it gave us some action for Nine Numb, and it turns out Nine Numb has a bigger role in this canon than he did in Legends, because Nine Numb also shows up in Moving Target, and he shows up as an X-Wing pilot in The Force Awakens, and he shows up in The Resistance on Sullust in uh, Battlefront Twilight Company. So, in those cases, it's giving us some things that will be interesting to tie into later, but not all that great as a series in and of itself. And now, of course, it's also given an effect on that final scene of A New Hope. Not only, as Mark said, are we thinking about the fact that, okay, as that ceremony's ending, she's going to be given a speech and a, a statue to Bale and Bria Organa, apparently. That's what her name is. Um, and basically, you know, ignoring the pilots, apparently, and people are going to be griping about her and all that kind of stuff. But also, it's the clothing thing. The fact that Evan, in the story, Evan Verlaine, wears basically the exact same sort of golden yellow jacket and clothing as Luke at the end of A New Hope, we joked, did she raid Luke's closet before the series began? I'm thinking it's now the opposite, because I think about it, Luke left Tatooine with no other clothes than what he was wearing. Then he gets Rebel Flight Suit. Then all of a sudden he's wearing that yellow thing, at the celebration, I'm thinking that Luke raided Evan's closet, which is even stranger in the grand scheme of things. I can't watch the end of A New Hope now without thinking, hey, Luke, where'd you get that jacket? <laughs> I, and, and for me, I'm like, I think the thing I'm having the hardest time with is why would you take beautiful Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, and make her Kanye West? I'm, I'm going to talk about Big's Dark Lighter, but first, let me talk about Bale and Bria. Let me talk about Bale and Bria. I'm going to let you finish about them pilots. <laughs> that is so sad. See, as soon as you said Kanye, I was like, where the hell is he going with this? <laughs> <laughs> you said that. I'm like literally sitting here with my eyes just kind of like glazed over looking at the screen going, I don't get it. Where is he <laughs> going? <laughs> Kanye, we're going to name our son Wes Solo. Oh, man. No, see, if you follow Kanye and, and that whole thing, didn't they name their kids something that had to do with the direction or something? So that would mean that the, that the child of the Solos needs to be like, his first name needs to be like, Goin. <laughs> or playin singin Yeah, something like that. All right, that brings us to the second of the miniseries, which was Star Wars Lando. Oh, Lando. See, I was conflicted with Lando. Um, I didn't care for the art. And it's weird to say, because I think the Lando one might be, for me, the worst art of it. And it's not the worst art. I mean, when I think about all that Dark Horse gave us 
and stuff and all the different Marvel comics I've read in, in my lifetime, it's not the worst art I've ever seen. Absolutely not. Uh, but it's it, it had a very much Dark Empire feel to the grittiness of it. Um, kind of like some of the Dark Times, uh, some of the covers for uh, Invasion, uh, that, that kind of really gritty weirdness to it. Uh, so, so I didn't quite, I think that's what really put me off at first, but the story was good. Um, I really got a kick out of the story. Uh, the Lobot angle, I think I think the Lobot angle is probably what made this story actually have a, a, a spot in my heart. Uh, you know, I, we, we mocked the hell out of the brother and everything, but after this story, I realized that there is a Lando Lobot tale or 25 out there, uh, that I want to know about. I want to know about the brother. I want to know about the other brother. I want to know about why Lobot put a device into his cranium that could, uh, in a sense, basically make him a human computer that has no emotions and has no personality. Uh, and the way that the story plays out, which we still haven't covered it, so I don't want to give too much details, but the way it plays out and the relationship between those two characters, that story, it was the everything for me, you know, like, like there was this whole aspect of the dark side stuff going on and, and it brought up some intriguing stuff that I can't wait to talk about when we talk about the actual issue, but the Lobot angle and the Lobot that we see in Canon for the first time now knowing that that's not the Lobot, that that is the direct results of this comic. That blew me away, and that changed my opinion greatly of the series overall. Because I would have put this one below Leia at first, uh, but now not so. Now I, I would definitely put it, uh, it when, in the terms of these miniseries, I would put it as my number one of the miniseries, for sure. Wow, that's pretty high praise. I can't agree. Uh, Lando, to me, again, the artwork, I would agree, was not really up to what I was expecting. I think they captured Lando's character fairly well, which is more than we could say for the Princess Leia miniseries capturing Leia well. In the Lando series, it felt like most of the story was basically throwaway. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Lobot, though, because to do what they did to him and sort of making him almost a human computer, as you said, you know, not really uh, showing emotion and whatnot, basically preparing him to act in the prequels then I know, I know people are groaning. My bad. Not everybody in the prequels acted wouldn't, just, you know, a good third. So what we've got here basically is a miniseries that may pay off or may not. I don't know. When we when I watch The Empire Strikes Back, which Lobot am I seeing? Has he been saved from that as Lando promises or not? We don't know. And we don't know how much time Lando has to figure that out. Because they haven't told us where in the gap between A New Hope and Empire that miniseries takes place. It's anywhere within that three-year stretch. We don't want to constrain other writers and so on. So, I don't know. In a sense, it's kind of a toss-up. I did like the fact that when it finally came down to it, Lando is the one who's constantly running the schemes and is sort of the ladies' man. But the woman that winds up helping them within the story because she knows them isn't somebody who had previously been a lover of Lando's. She had been someone romantically involved with Lobot. And that was a cool twist. But barring those moments, really kind of dull to me. And sitting back, I, I had no interest in, okay, it's an artifact that turns you dark side. And these two wannabe Black Panthers are going to start trying to kill each other. Black Panther is in Marvel, not the political group. Yeah. It just... Again, this is a series that did basically nothing for me, brother, because they do say brother a lot. 
early on in that series. <laughs> so Lando is a mini series that may rise in my estimation if it gets relevance. And we see how it actually connects to the Empire Strikes Back and that version of Lawbot. But until we get some answers on that, to me, it's fairly low in the rankings. But then again, there's only four of them, and there's really only one of these miniseries that I've actually particularly liked. Yeah, in the terms of relevance, especially with the dark side stuff, I mean, you know, we'll cover that more when we do actually cover the issues. Uh, that whole angle of what they were doing with the dark side and with the artifacts and what the artifacts were doing with people. Uh, that's an angle I honestly didn't expect canon to play with. That is a Legends angle that the George Lucas fans, the fans that only liked canon, uh, that absolutely wanted nothing to do with Legends because Legends tainted and ruined everything. That's an angle that Legends played with that canon kept completely hands off. Uh, the idea that these items can affect you. They can corrupt you. You know, that was something that the EU played with a lot. Canon didn't. Canon always kept it like, well, you have a choice. You know, you could you could go one way or the other. You know, yeah, it'll affect you over time, but it's your use of the force. It's not that you know. It was like the whole like the most we had was like the the caves. You know, you could see like these tainted places and stuff, but that was about it. Uh, but we're now starting to see that more. I mean, even uh, I, I think it was the Leia issue uh, when they go to Naboo. You know, she has a moment where she's like. I've been here before. Maybe that was in Shattered Empire. I can't remember which one, but they, they are playing with that where, where there's the taints and stuff. And I'm curious that when they did it with this, when they had the artifacts possessing people pretty much, uh, and they even had like a couple Royal guards on the ship and they were talking about, you know, their, their time on the ship in close proximity to these things twisted them. I mean, their features had changed kind of like Palpatine with the force lightning in episode three. So, I mean, that was an angle that, that I hope they'll come back to. You know, that, that, I think that, that goes without saying for all of these things, like we, I think, I think I'm, uh, I'm going to go on, on here and you correct me if I'm wrong, but we want stories that aren't just throwaway stories. We want stories that eventually are going to have more payoff or a tie in, even if it's small, but to, to have that feeling like everything matters, you know, that nothing's being left behind. Nothing's being just tossed out there for a quick gimmick, you know, which is kind of how Sana Solo felt. You know, I mean, it, it, to have an idea for every single thing you're bringing up, not just it's today's gimmick and it's going to work. Oh, we're going to cut off Rick's hand today and then realize, oh, it's a bad idea. So in the movies, you know, we're going to make sure his hand's there because we made a mistake. Ah, the dark side and artifacts. It's like radiation. Just being around it can eventually kill you. <laughs> that brings us into the third of the four miniseries, the one that I find is my favorite, which is Shattered Empire. It's part of the journey to The Force Awakens, and this time was only four issues, which was a little bit different. All these other miniseries have been five. This one is, this is one that Lando was tied with for number one. I really like this one. I think... I think probably the reason why I knocked it down to number two is because of The Force Awakens not really tying into it. Like, I, I had more hopes that this one was going to be, like, a tie-in to a degree. We see, you know, characters with the last name Dameron in it. So we're like, oh, there's a tie-in. And I, I do the art on this one, I think, is hands down probably one of the best art uh, out there that Marvel's done. I really like the space battles. Uh, you know, Poe's mom, she's badass, man. Uh, Poe's dad equally badass uh for four issues it covered quite a bit of story i was kind of honestly surprised in that regard uh and in the end there's these whole two force sensitive trees which brought up a whole nother ponder for me because it 
made me think of Yoda's speech about the force was not luminous beings. We are the force, everything. It binds us together. The rock, the ship, the tree. I'm like, well, we already know that trees have force. Like, wait, they're force sensitive. Is this like, is this like a Aurora guy? That one, you know, the, the tree species people, is this a Jedi? Like, what's the relevance here? Like, that was the weird thing for me. Like I was hoping for some relevance out of it because again, the journey to the force awakens, which I felt like it was a journey like, I felt like I was taking a trip to the West, but my journey sent me off to the East. And I'm like, is this California? And I'm in Florida. I must have made a wrong turn at Albuquerque, as Bugs Bunny might have said. Yeah. I really liked this one until really that last issue that kind of left me going, what? I think I like the fact that it's giving us some context to what's happening immediately after the Battle of Endor. And it's showing more of the different sides of how the Empire is fracturing and sort of trying to find its bearings that we see in Aftermath and that we see in things like the background of the video game Star Wars Uprising. So in that sense, I liked it. The artwork is fantastic. And I like the fact that even though we don't have much of a direct connection to The Force Awakens other than these being the parents of Poe that we're focused on, it's a story that focuses on sort of the realities of trying to have a family and trying to have a marriage and a child and everything in a time of war. And this t- this being pulled between duty and family. And whether or not it's time for Shara and Kes to step away from the Rebel Alliance or the New Republic to raise Poe on their own. Time for them to essentially retire. I think that's an interesting perspective that unfortunately we don't see a lot in Star Wars. It tends to be sort of a everybody's all in Mm -hmm. in the fight as opposed to being sort of the more human side of, well, what about these other considerations that I have? Granted, many of the people that we see in these stories conveniently don't have kids yet. Mm -hmm. But then here's, you know, Kess and Shara have two-year-old Poe that they're worried about. And there's this question of, you know, where do they go from here? I like that aspect of it. I do think that last one was kind of weird. With the whole forced trees thing, I'm hoping that at some point that will play a role in something. Otherwise, the forced trees thing is just a really strange way to end it. And I do like the fact that Greg Rucka was able to reference his own work, going back to Smuggler's Run with Alicia Beck, the ISB agent in that story, being who Shara impersonates in this story. Although it's kind of stupid at the same time, because shouldn't they have known that she has a cybernetic eye, which was a big deal in the character's development in Smuggler's Run, and then you get to Shattered Empire. It's like, yeah, you can just impersonate her. You don't need to fake a cybernetic eye. In fact, it's the fact that she doesn't have a cybernetic eye that gives them away. So in a sense, it was cool that he referenced back to that character. At the same time, why choose that character if you're in-universe? And boy, it was stupid that they didn't pay attention to how she actually looked and seems like they just went with her name and the fact that she was female and thought that they could get away with it. So Shattered Empire... Way up there for me as far as the miniseries go, but again, it's kind of like being valedictorian of summer school. You're the best of a group where your compatriots kind of suck. And, you know, you mentioned the mustering out angle. That was something I'm like, mustering, like I had to look up the word. What does it mean? I was like shocked. I was like, wow, actually the rebellion is letting people go. Like, I was in that same boat. Like, I thought this was all hands in. We need everybody we can get. Like, come on, Han, where the hell are you going, dude? There's a fight here. Get back in the fight. Uh, so that was weird. Like, the fact that they were, like, encouraging it. I mean, you know, Poe's mom was, like, not at all ready to give up the fight. But they're like, y- y- it's time, girl. You need to go. Come on. Take care of your family. It's time. Go. And I was kind of conflicted with that. Uh, but 
I, I'm, I'm with you in the aspect of, you know, for four issues, those first three were rock solid. And then it felt like we jumped into a totally different arc with Luke showing up. Like Luke just came out of nowhere and was like, Hey, I got a mission for you. Like that felt really forced. Uh, it felt like this series was supposed to be more. And then they were like, well, you know what? We really don't have as much time. So that whole midsection where we were going to hand off to Luke and, and stuff, let's just cut to that and make and make the mission where Luke and her go together. That would be the next step. And we'll just jump right to that. Like, it felt like there was a lot of stuff missing. It, it almost felt like when you're watching The Force Awakens and you're like, where's all that trailer footage that I saw? I, I saw a lot more footage. Where is it? Is there cut scenes here already? It's like the old Ewok story, right? The Ewoks save the trees, and now it's the heroes save the trees. And I gotta say, you know, I, I, I'm mustered out all the time. Anytime I eat a hot dog, nothing but mustard on that sucker. I absolutely <laughs> mustered out. Now, the last of these is an odd one because the last issue hasn't come out yet as of the time we're recording this. As of the time you're listening to this, it has. This I don't think it's going to change much of our opinion on it more than likely. And that is the series Chewbacca. Yes, Chewie gets his own miniseries for the second time, and this time he didn't have to be dead to get it. See, and I think that the reason they did this is because of episode 7. I think because Chewie is alive now, they've got to reestablish, hey, oh, by the way, he's part of the big four, yo. Like, Chewie's a character in his own. He's not just a dog sidekick, yo. Look, he's a he's a leading man. We're going to give him his own series. Like, I think that, uh, you know, now we got to really make Chewie kind of stand on his own as a character. And I think for the longest time, he's just been the St. Bernard of Han Solo's. And, you know, aside from being a really mechanical uh, Astro from the Jetsons type dog, uh, you know, Chewie's kind of got the shaft. And I think that this is going a long way to bringing back the fact that, hey, he's a sentient being, you know, he's a character. And just because Han has to interpret everything for the rest of us, there are characters out there that do understand what he's saying. Uh, that being said, I haven't read this series, uh, I flipped through the ones that have been down in my comic book store. You know, the disclaimer out there now with the new Marvel, I'm not getting the singles. I'm waiting for trades. So my reading process has changed. So I haven't actually had a chance to read any of these. I've waited on the first couple issues. I've just looked at the art and it's got a grittier art, uh, kind of more closer to the Lando but it's also kind of close to the Leia series in the way the art is. So I've kind of run of the mill on the art. Um, but the, the general story from what I'm seeing so far, I'm kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to care about this when it's time. Ah, Chewbacca. He's a sidekick who finally gets his own story and his own story is boring as hell. Uh, this series doesn't need to exist. This is a quick detour for Chewbacca during the rebellion and he basically winds up on a planet where there's mining going on and some mining bosses working with the Empire who are like crime bosses as well. And they're just kind of scummy and treating people badly. And, oh, can Chewbacca help liberate the people? And the other main character is this basically like kid who half the time you can't tell it's supposed to be a boy or a girl. I have to keep being reminded it's supposed to be a girl. And Chewbacca, of course, Chewbacca doesn't talk. Chewbacca does his Wookiees, his Shriwook, right? So he's speaking, 
And constantly this little girl, it's like Timmy in Lassie, right? What's that? Oh, yeah. What's this? Oh, did you say this? Uh Uh-huh, that's true. Oh, my God. If somebody is speaking a language you can understand, you don't have to keep repeating back what they said to make clear that you understood it. And if you don't understand it, boy, that's kind of annoying to constantly be sitting there saying, hey, wait, so you're meaning this? You're meaning this? And sometimes you're saying, you're meaning this? And you're like, how do you get, you know, you need this hydro spanner in this many millimeters out of what if you don't understand the language <laughs> so just well, having having a main character who can't speak the same language as the others is tough enough add in the little kid angle the timmy lassie kind of dynamic here i think instead of doing what you were saying and making this a series that really lets chewbacca stand on his own i think it just emphasizes how much chewbacca cannot as a character without somehow translating what he's saying he can't stand on his own. He needs someone there, whether it's Han or little boy-looking girl acting like Timmy and Lassie in this series. I really, really cannot stand this comic, and I hope there's something in the last issue that gives it relevance. Otherwise, it's it may it may wind up being below the Princess Leia series on my rankings of the Marvel series. It may have hit that kind of low because it's that dull. (laughs) It does kind of remind you of when you're talking with somebody from a foreign country's accent so thick that you're like, I think I know what they're saying. So you're like saying it back just in case you misinterpreted something. But, you know, I got to admit, there's a side of me that's kind of like, you know, when I was watching The Force Awakens, and I saw Chewie, I was kind of like, you know, how come they didn't go the Lobaka route where they gave him his own little personal translator joint at this point? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think about that quite a bit when I think about Legends. And there's only been, what, I think two stories where we've ever seen Chewie's speech translated. Uh, it's few and far. And I think that, you know, you're in an era where here's a guy that could stand up on his own more if you were to give him the opportunity to be understood, uh, give him more of a personality. You know, I mean, when you have to translate his his speech, it gives you that opportunity for there to be snark and, and humor and all these things that's hinted about in the dialogue of the, the films. But. I don't know. It's an opportunity that I hope down the road, maybe they will do something with, uh, you know, get him a translator or start giving us, you know, inside to his head, because in a comic form, especially this is a great way to pull a Peter Parker, you know, Peter Parker in, in a lot of the, the Spider-Man series, he's, he's cracking off all sorts of jokes in his head. Sometimes he's saying them out loud and stuff, but this is the perfect example for that. Chewie could be saying, Chewie could be the biggest smartass in all of Star Wars and no one would have a clue. And you could be in comics giving us the punchlines. I mean, I think that would just be a brilliant thing. Like find out that Chewie is like the uh, Simon Pegg of Star Wars, just a, a total, you know, smartass that just drives everybody nuts when you actually know what he's saying, but nobody realizes what he's saying. They're just like, oh, it's just him running his mouth again. You know, nobody realizes he's actually talking nothing but mad smack. That brings us to the annuals. One of those things that Marvel tends to do with its comics is you'll have an annual story that's a little bit longer than a standard story, though usually not by much. And it tends to focus on either characters that aren't part of the main series or a story that's kind of off to the side from the main series. In this case, we got Star Wars Annual Number 1 and Darth Vader Annual Number 1. Star Wars Number 1 focusing on an entirely different set of characters for the most part, a mission on Coruscant that eventually becomes a mission to try to assassinate Palpatine. 
focusing on one spy character. The Darth Vader series, its annual basically putting Vader in the middle of a situation where a planet is not being compliant enough with the Empire, so he starts wreaking havoc and basically people are trying to kill him, he's trying to kill them just to kind of get this planet back on the straight and narrow of doing what the Empire wants them to do. When it comes to the annuals, I got to admit, man, when I first saw one of those on the shelves, I panicked. I had no idea these were coming, and I should. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of annuals, and I think Insider is what's done that. I buy, you know, a subscription to Insider. I expect to get all the issues that come out that year. I shouldn't have to pay $15 at the end of the year to get the annual as well. I find that BS. When this hit the comic book store, I panicked. I was just like, oh my God, is this being collected? Like, is this being collected in the main series? Like, are these being, is this going to be something that slips through? Because like I said, I'm collecting these in trades. So if there's a standalone single issue and it's not collected, if I don't know it's not being collected when it's in the single issue, I'm not going to get it. And then finding it later might be hard. And that's a panic that the OCD collector in me is like, ah, dude, you can't let that happen. You got to get it all. Pokemon time. Uh, so I don't know. I'm conflicted when it comes to annuals. It's not something I really enjoy because I feel like it exists out of the series the way it does. So I don't know. I mean, do you, do you know, are they going to be collecting these as part of certain runs? I believe they're going to be collected with the third arcs from what I understand, but that's my biggest complaint with these. My biggest concern with these, I thought the star Wars number one annual was a decent enough story though, man, Leia is really big on the, if you can assassinate Vader or Palpatine, if you can assassinate these people, do it, right? Leia kind of seems a little bit more Palpatine-esque. It certainly is a far cry from, you know, when the Jedi were arguing, well, should we assassinate? Is it a valid tool of statecraft? And here Leia's like, do it, kill him, constantly. Um, I like that, but it's because it's a story that is so outside of the rest of the run, they could happen almost any time. I'm not concerned about being able to fit that into the chronology. I'm a, I'm concerned about where it fits, but not that it will fit. Whereas the Darth Vader annual, Vader's tied up in stuff throughout the entire second arc and then into Vader down for that series. So unless they release this early and it's meant to happen after Vader down is over, which is what I'm assuming, unless something major changes in Vader down, I'm assuming this is meant to happen after. It's going to be in that third trade paperback, I believe then I have some real questions about where it fits and how it fits. And that is where the annuals do drive me nuts, of finding a way to fit them into anything. That said, because they're the annuals, in these cases, it seems like these are stories you could utterly skip and no one would really care. Like, you wouldn't notice that you missed these stories because they're not an integral part of anything else, which is kind of like what they did with some of the annuals with the original Marvel series back in the 80s. You had a couple of them that were basically throwaway stories that didn't have an impact on other things, but in another one, they introduced Flint, who winds up coming back later as a Sith in training under Lumaya, at least according to the retcon, in an issue called The Dream, which was really cool, you know, getting a chance to seed him in the annual and have him come back later. But by and large, Marvel annuals mean basically nothing, and it's nothing with a higher price tag. Yeah, that that too is also concerning, you know, and just something that Marvel does that's concerning. It, I, I call it the Marvel effect. See, they tend to put things out of order like, OK, 
Marvel just had this huge event where their multiverse collapsed. And so as all that happened, each one would wrap up with this huge cataclysmic thing. So they all end up in this battle world that doom creates. And they didn't even finish telling all the stories on how everyone got to battle world. And then that series just started running. And so it's still running. And, you know, almost six months later, we finally start getting the wrap ups to what led everyone into battle world. Well, battle World's still going and they've already launched the all new, all different Marvel, which is set after battle world. Like that series is still going and we've already got a new universe. Like that's something I pray to God. Marvel does not do with the star Wars universe. And if what you're saying with this Vader annual is the case, that's exactly what they've done there. And that worries the crap out of me because that's something that they're doing already, that they're doing it like it's no big deal. And dude, Star Wars fans hate being spoiled. So why would you want to know about episode nine before you've watched episode eight? And that's something that they're doing right now with their own current lines. You know, I mean, we still don't know exactly what's happened to, you know, the Fantastic Four and and those kind of things, or you know what happened with the characters from the all new X Men. I mean, like there's huge chunks because these series haven't finished and they pushed the publication date for the last ones out past the beginning of the next ones. It's like, why the hell would you do that? Please, God, don't do this with Star Wars. Speaking of something you need to have a set schedule for in order to make it work, that brings us to the last of the new stories being produced by Marvel, and that is. Vader Down. Vader Down is a crossover series. It begins with the Vader Down one-shot, and then continues into Darth Vader number 13, which is out, Star Wars number 13, which is out, Darth Vader number 14, which will be out by the end of the year, but is not out yet for us, Star Wars number 14, and then Darth Vader number 15. So it's Vader Down, two issues of the ongoing Star Wars series, three issues of Darth Vader, all going back and forth, back and forth, in telling one story that brings the two different ongoing comics or the main ongoing comics together. This is cool. I mean, it's almost picking up right on the heels of Vader rising the first Marvel crossover. Oh wait, no, they just crossed over and didn't call it a crossover. This one's weird for me because yeah, they're, they're toting it as a crossover. We've already had the comics crossing over. And if you're collecting this in singles, yeah, it's a crossover. But if you're collecting it in trades, this ain't crossover with crap. No different than the last crossover was. So I'm kind of confused as to the marketing here. It's a semantics thing. It's like arguing over a split hair. It's really weird. (laughs) But when it comes to the content of the story, this is one I'm really excited about. Uh, The first issue, I grabbed it, checked it out, had to find out how Vader went down. And uh, let me me say it, guys. This is one you're going to want to grab. Uh, that that first issue was pretty damn spectacular, and I can't wait to read all of this series. Vader down! Vader down! Um, yeah, this is an interesting one. So far, it's been a fairly good story. I mean, we basically have Vader getting shot down by Luke, kind of by accident, kind of on purpose. Or not even shot down, really. It's I was going to say. It's more like a, a collision that sends him crashing down. But basically... You have Luke crash-landed mostly, Vader crash-landed for real, and they're on this planet Vorgas Vas that also seems to have an old Jedi temple or the the ruins of one, and it's sort of like the Alliance going after Vader but also trying to find Luke while Vader's compatriots like Dr. Aphra and the droids are going after Luke, and in that sense, it makes for a cool, tense story. I don't think it's going to wind up being something that is so epic or bombastic 
that we're going to feel as though, wow, this absolutely deserved its own one shot to kick it off. This is not Age of Apocalypse, which really needed the Alpha and Omega and that kind of thing to really kick it off. This is basically, it's an X-Men storyline, folks. Uh, Basically, what this is, is, hey, here's an excuse to bring these two series together. But as Mark said, they already sort of did it with scenes back in that first arc with Skywalker Strikes and with the original Vader, like, you know, the Darth Vader, Colin Vader arc of Darth Vader because we had the meeting with Jabba and then the other meeting with Jabba and we had Boba Fett being sent on the mission in the one series showing up in the other one and then that scene at the end where they both come together as Vader's finding out the Skywalker name. They've kind of already done this, but I think that's where I kind of scratch my head about this being a crossover at all because this is not what we're used to with Star Wars comics. You look back at Dark Horse and for instance, you could say that the entire era of the Clone Wars back before the cartoon series came out that was all one enormous crossover. Republic with the one-shots, with the novels, with the games, linking all together. Because Star Wars is, no matter what different series you're looking at, a shared universe. Yeah. So if I look at, you know, like, I wouldn't necessarily preclude the idea of Han, Luke, and Leia showing up in the pages of the Darth Vader series. That wouldn't feel like a crossover to me. It's a shared universe. It's Star Wars. Just like Vader and maybe Aphra showing up In the ongoing Star Wars series, I wouldn't think of that as a crossover. But I guess in Marvel's mind, it's kind of like with the X-Men comics. Now, granted, my X-Men that I'm more familiar with understands like the 90s when they relaunched with like X-Men number one. But I remember thinking of it as, here's all these different characters, and they shuffled which teams they were on. And you had the new X-Factor, new X-Force, you had X-Men, and so on. But... What they did was they had taken certain X-Men and put them in uncanny X-Men, certain ones in regular X-Men, certain members of the mutant community in X-Force, in X-Factor. And because these groups were separated out, even though they were all interacting with each other pretty frequently, it would be considered a crossover if the majority of the cast of one showed up in the other, or a story that started in one continued in the other. It was more like it was about number of cast members and storyline connecting than it really was what we think of with the crossover where we think of like two different groups that rarely interact finally get a chance to interact. This was not, you know, uh, Star Wars and Star Trek crossing over or something. So here what we've got is a series where it sort of fits in terms of it's a crossover in story. You're bouncing from Vader down to one series to the next series to the next series and back and forth and back and forth to get it all. And thankfully, they have the little labels on the front covers that say like Vader down part one, part two, part three, whatever. But in terms of you know the number of cast members crossing over, yeah, the majority of the Vader cast, in fact, the, the, the core Vader cast is showing up here. And so is the core Star Wars cast. But there's I don't think there's enough difference in what those core casts are to make it truly feel like a crossover. It'd be more of a crossover if this was maybe, you know, the Rebels crew crossing over into this somehow. If there was like a flashback that brought them into it or something, because they are a separate and distinct group that doesn't feel like they're part of the same line. Star Wars and Darth Vader, those two series feel like they're part of the same product line, so it doesn't feel like calling it a crossover is really that big of a deal. It it was much more of a crossover, albeit a cross-through I think, when they did Vector with Dark Horse. And yeah. that was only one character carrying across them. But this just, it, I say, it doesn't feel like it's a crossover. It's 
a story that happens to hit each of them just like back in the first arc when they didn't make a big deal out of it. Well, and Vector actually was two characters that were crossing over because Murr himself was with her. True, the the spirit in the talisman, yeah. Yeah, so so in a sense it was almost three because the talisman was also – it felt like it was a character. But yeah, you're definitely on to something there. And I wonder from the Luke side of things if this in a sense is our new Shadows of Mindor. You know, could this be the battle that Luke decides he's going to walk away from being a rank member of the Rebellion and just go on to do something else? I mean, uh, you know, we've got some details from The Force Awakens that – puts Luke on somewhat of a uh, similar quest to learn about Jedi training like he did in Legends. So I'm curious if he's going to have a Shadows of Mindor moment where he decides, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to be General Skywalker or Commander Skywalker, whatever he's going to be in canon at that time, and and just say, you know what, I'm going to focus on my Jedi training and this is it. And I wonder if this is going to be that battle because uh, from the setup of number one, this battle seems like it has that potential but then they'd have to bring him right back because they know we've got a predetermined end point of this era which is the empire strikes back there's only so much they can do with these characters that's why characters like sure. afra really excite me because they're strong characters where we don't know what happens to them we don't know if they survive to through empire onto jedi whatever whereas the other characters do have a predetermined ending it's more of a what's their journey between and hopefully the journey between will be more coherent this time than it was in Legends, because most of the stories in Legends in that time period, a lot of it was being written in, you know, the early 80s in newspaper strips and comics and such that weren't meant to fit together. Now, speaking of old things coming back in some form or another, we have remastered editions here this year of all three of the film comic adaptations, A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. These are remasterings of the original Marvel adaptations, which for Empire and Jedi have been really the only adaptations outside of manga or photo comics. But A New Hope, you may recall, got a new adaptation back in 1997. That, of course, was a Dark Horse one. That's not the one here. This is actually going back to the first six issues of the Marvel series for that original classic adaptation of A New Hope. In every case, it is a hardback release, it's the entire story with a little bit of background content and whatnot, and they're in a cover gallery type thing. But the big draw is they've all been remastered, meaning they have all gone through and had new digital coloring done to replace the original coloring work. Huh. That's – I'm on the fence with those kind of things because I'm like – I don't know. I mean, I, I we've bought in so many versions of the trilogy over the years and stuff. I'm kind of like, do I really – want to get a recoloring kind of thing. So, you know, that I, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I think I think most of the rest of this episode I'm kind of on the fence with, especially considering most of it's stuff that to a degree I already own. Um I think this is definitely the stuff that's aimed more at the newer fans, the casual fans that are getting into this side of fandom, getting into the comics, the collecting and those kind of things. Offering them, you don't have to hunt as far. Uh you know, I remember in the early days the fun was the hunt, you know, it was like a treasure hunt. You know, you'd look for the old, rare, hard to find older books, uh, older comics. And when you came across them, it was like, a, yeah, now, you know, you don't have to hunt so bad, but it is nice for those people out there. You don't have to feel like, you know, you may never find it or it's the Holy grail that, that is just inescapable. You're never going to find it. Uh, so for you guys out there, enjoy. I probably won't be. Yeah. These I picked up because I wanted to have them for the collection and I want to have at least some version of the films, you know, I could stick on my canonical shelf and all, but yeah, I mean, they're really, 
they're really only for those who don't already have these. In fact, most people probably already have these adaptations multiple times. The new coloring is cool. It looks nice. But do you need to repurchase these yet again? No, not really. Speaking of collecting old stuff, on the same topic, we have the Marvel Epic Collections. Essentially, this would include reprints of old stuff from Dark Horse and reprints of the original Marvel comics. We'll treat those sort of separately here. In the Marvel Epic Collections, we had The Old Republic Volume 1, which includes Knights of the Old Republic issues 0 through 18. Bear in mind, all these have the Legends label on them. Rise of the Sith Volume 1, with Jedi the Dark Side, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan the Orient Express, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan Last End on Ord Mantell, Jedi Council Acts of War, Prelude to Rebellion issues 4 through 6 as backup story, and some random stories from Star Wars Tales. We then have The Empire, Volumes 1 and 2. Volume 1 includes Republic issues 78 through 80, all of the Purge comics, Darth Vader and the Lost Command, and Dark Times issues 1 through 5. Volume 2 includes Dark Times issues 6 through 22, which does include Blue Harvest number 0. Then we have The New Republic, Volume 1, which includes Mara Jade by the Emperor's Hand, Shadows of the Empire Evolution, The Jabba Tape, Boba Fett Twin Engines of Destruction, and stuff from Star Wars Tales. And then we have the Infinities Epic Collection, which is Infinities A New Hope, Infinities The Empire Strikes Back, Infinities Return of the Jedi, and The Star Wars. This is a collection that I'm actually, I was very pleasantly surprised that they were doing. Uh, you know, when we found out that Marvel was going to be getting the license and Dark Horse wasn't, it was like that mad scramble. You know, quick, have your comic store, order everything you're going to want to buy in the next two years. They'll hold it, you'll be able to buy it then, because you're not going to be able to get it anywhere else. And so people were doing that mad dash, got to get them all, you know, Pokemon action. And then we find out Marvel's actually able to reprint them and slap the Legends banner on there that we were told we were going to be getting on stuff that was coming out. Uh, so, so I'm, I mean, that's one of the aspects where I'm happy. You know, I, I, I talk about, you know, the, the whole hashtag continue Legends in the, in the happy way of coexistence. And this is Legends material being printed. Granted, it's easy to slap that banner on there and reprint it. You're not really going out of your way to make a whole lot of stuff. It's not taking a lot of dollar time for your employees to put this together. I get that. But at the same time, it's still that universe that exists, even though it's not canon anymore, it still exists and ceased to exist as much as people would like it to. It still has stuff being printed of it. It, it hasn't just magically disappeared uh, you know, and it's still the content of it is still growing, even though we're not getting as many new stories, which if you will listen to our last episode, we did find out in 2015, we had eight new legend short stories. So, you know, th th that gives me hope. Uh, you know, I'm very hopeful in that aspect that we are still seeing legends materials being reprinted. Uh, you know, maybe there'll be some of those harder to find stories get reprinted. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny that prelude to rebellion is added yet the zero issue, which is hard to find, which you can find on our actual Facebook page in our photo albums. Cause it's a short story that was never collected in print. So we've got copies of all the images, but yeah, it was one of those things like, Oh, could have slipped that in there. I wonder if they will pick up anything like that, that was hard to find and make it easier to find. See, I feel like this stuff is really redundant. I mean, it's basically Marvel saying, look, we got the license now. So we're going to start reprinting stuff. Just like dark horse reprinted our stuff. Fair is fair. But they're putting out stuff 
it's kind of haphazard, it seems like. I mean, there's some logic to how they're putting it together, and then there's other stuff I'm just like, what? Like, New Republic Volume 1. Mara Jade by the Emperor's Hand, Shadows of the Empire Evolution, The Jabba Tape, Boba Fett, Twin Inches of Destruction, and some stuff from Tales. Barring a couple of the Tales stories and the Boba Fett story, they could have just called that the New Republic, the crap edition. It's- or or uh, Underworld, even. It's so weird what, the way they're putting it together. I like the fact that the Infinity stuff is all together, but I look at these and think, no. Ooh, they're hardback. Why, yes. Yes, they are. They're also $35 each. Mm-hmm. And I can get an omnibus edition from Dark Horse where all this exact same stuff winds up being collected, in many cases, in almost the exact same stuff per volume for a hell of a lot cheaper. If you're someone who's interested in these, unless you just want fancy hardbacks of stuff or you have a hard-on for Marvel and despise Dark Horse, don't pick these up. Pick up the old Dark Horse Omnibus editions while you've got the chance, while they're still on some store shelves, while they're still available through, for instance, eBay and whatnot, because that's a much better value. You can spend the exact same amount of money, get a heck of a lot more stuff than buying these epic collection editions. I will not pick up, at this point, I don't think I will pick up any of the Marvel epic collections. I don't see the point. Yeah, I I'm with you on that. I mean, aside from some of the Tales stuff that I haven't got that I'm going to try to find through Dark Horse, I I'm in the same boat. I mean, I've got almost everything already. So, you know, unless there's like something that was so hard to find already, I don't see any lure for me, but I, it is nice though that, that and I'm sure there are fans out there that are, you know, OCD enough that they're like, Hey, I collect Marvel and I want my star Wars Marvel to look just like the other Marvel. And that's one thing Marvel does with their hardbacks. You know, they give a nice uniform look to it. So I have, I have an appreciation for that, but yeah, this isn't my cup of tea. Uh, you know, I was part of the last run guys. I mean, I've got all singles and stuff in my comics. I don't really need to be collecting it because I've already collected most of it. So that brings us to the last group of these and they are all technically kind of epic collection releases, but they're referred to as, the original Marvel years, volumes one through three. As of 2015, they didn't waste any time. You can pick up the entire original Marvel run of Star Wars comics, not counting Ewoks and droids, because that was sort of Star Comics. This is the original Marvel series with its annuals and Return of the Jedi and the odd stuff printed outside of the main series. Not the kiddie stuff. All of it has already been reprinted in 2015. Volume 1 of the original Marvel years includes issues 1 through 44, along with the first annual, which basically means it's from A New Hope through The Empire Strikes Back. Volume 2 includes issues 45 to 78 and the second annual, and then Volume 3 includes the rest of the series 79 through 107, the third annual, Return of the Jedi 1 through 4, and stories from the UK and stories from Pizzazz that did get collected in some of those Dark Horse Omnibus editions, but not necessarily within that Marvel Omnibus series. So basically what we have here is stuff that was relatively recently collected by Dark Horse in a form that's more affordable. And it was, in many cases, except for a few of the UK and Pizzazz things, also reprinted prior to that by Dark Horse. That, in some cases, had had multiple printings from Marvel back in the past. This is yet another run of the Marvel series. But if you want a hardback version of that series collected by Marvel themselves, this is where you can get it. But again, to me, there are much better ways, much more affordable ways to get these. So I'm not going to be picking them up. But it Marvel wasted no time cashing in on their backlog of old stories. Well, and that kind of made sense, too, because, you know, in a sense, these old stories were kind of like Legends before Legends was Legends. You know, this is like your pre-EU kind of thing. 
uh, which of course the EU found a way to retcon it all in anyway. But I am on the fence here because I don't have any of these. Um, unless some of these fell into the a long time ago big omnibuses that they had that were kind of like orange and red. I have one of those. Uh, but so I, I'm interested in these, uh, but I don't know if this is the format I will get because of that price aspect. But at the same time, the uniformity of these three, I just might. Uh, but it will be one of those ones down the road where it's I've collected everything else and I'm looking for something that I don't have. Uh, I have no real burning, itching desire to go back to the Marvel years and learn about a canon that's been discarded now three different times. So, I, yeah, but I get why Marvel would jump on that pony. Making money for those with money to burn. And I guess speaking of Marvel, to wrap us up here, last thought on the comics. There is the digital side. And because Marvel now has the Star Wars license, you are seeing some Marvel stuff, Marvel Star Wars stuff, and some Dark Horse reprinted Star Wars stuff, reprinted by Marvel, showing up in that Marvel Unlimited app where you pay one price for a month or however many months or for a year and then get access to an entire library of comics. And because it's Marvel, you can now buy Star Wars digital comics through Comixology, the really good digital comics app, instead of having to buy them through the Dark Horse digital app that tends to freeze and crash a lot. So from a digital standpoint, if you're a digital comic reader, the switch to Marvel has been a big plus because now it's a much better Star Wars comic experience in the digital realm. Plus, when you buy the physical comics, now pretty much all of them, almost all of them, but not all, Almost all of them come with the code for a digital version of the comic, which gives you essentially a double value if you are purchasing them in physical form. Yeah, that is definitely an angle that I am really appreciating um, to be able to have them on your phone and, you know, you're bored and you just pull up a couple of comics and be able to read them. You know, granted, it's a small screen. I don't have an iPad or anything like you. I did find out, thanks to you, though, that I can do the same thing on my computer and have it in a much bigger screen. But I like the ability to have you know, on the two page spreads and stuff, the ability to screen share those shots, uh, you know, and how, and just basically crop out the really cool photos. Cause you know, I, I'm big into space battles and stuff. And sometimes there are some really glorious two page spreads that have the bars in the way or the page creases in the way and stuff. And this gets away from it. It makes it feel like it's a painting and stuff. And I am really getting a kick out of that. Like that is definitely one of the coolest aspects of the digital, uh, that I'm getting. It's like, Oh, Hey, this image is really cool. No, I don't have to take a really crappy picture of the comic. No, I could just take and share the actual image. Ah, technology. And it's helped us keep kind of abreast on things for the show, too, because what happens with me is I had had so many issues with with comics coming in the mail and getting damaged when I was doing them weekly in these small little cardboard packages from things from another world that it wound up that I decided to keep getting the comics from things from another world in physical form, but I'm having them shipped to me through UPS but it's so expensive that I do it monthly instead of weekly now. So it might be a month or so from a release before I actually get a copy of a comic in my hands. But I'll go ahead and I'll get them through Comixology by buying them a second time, basically, buying the digital copy on the day of release. In fact, I got it set up to automatically do it every week when new releases come out. What that means is I've already got a digital copy, so when my physical copy comes... I can peel off the sticker and give Mark the code, and instead of waiting for him to get the trade paperback to have it in physical form for us to cover it on the show, he gets my digital copy and is able to read it, and 
that way we're able to sort of keep up with things even though he doesn't have the physical copy yet. And in some cases, I haven't gotten the last of the physical copies to come in the mail. I also did the Marvel subscription service for those who are curious about that just to kind of see how that would work because they had a big sale on it. And I've been giving the extra digital copies from that to Brock from Star Wars Action News. But it's just for a few of the series, not all of them. And what's happening is that I'm winding up with extra copies that will be part of our contest, our giveaway. If you're wondering where those come from, that's from this. The downside of the subscription service is that when they ship them out, they come in a bag, but there's not really a board for it. There's just kind of a harder, thicker piece of paper in there with an advertisement and such on it that's not as thick as a traditional comic board would tend to be. So the issues sometimes arrive perfect, sometimes not. There's been a few times they've shown up so mangled that I've had to call the service line to have them send a new copy out. And it's been sort of hit or miss. Sometimes they've actually got a copy of it to send me. Other times they're like, oh, we're already out of those. We're going to have to just add one to your subscription at the end. And to get that second copy to be able to have for like the giveaway, for instance, I actually wind up going on somewhere like eBay to get a copy of it. So if you are looking to try to get these, I would still suggest Things from Another World is a great way to do it. Do it through one of those services where they're going to send it to you in a nice thick package and do it through UPS or FedEx if you can, because they will tend to treat your packages better than the U.S. Postal Service will tend to. I wouldn't go the Marvel subscription route just because the stuff is more likely to be dinged or damaged on the way. And unfortunately, you would think that that's a venue where, of course, if something gets damaged, they'll have replacement copies. It's the official Marvel subscription service. No, a lot of times they don't. So you're kind of running a crapshoot in doing that. But the digital route is a fantastic way to go if you're not going for physical copies and you just want to read the stories. And if you are picking up the physical copies, being able to share those extra digital copies is a wonderful thing. I do like what Marvel is doing with that. I think the process of getting the comics is stronger now than it was going through Dark Horse, if only because of the digital aspect of things. No, absolutely. Uh, and, and you know, further disclosure, I'm buying them again when they come out in the trades. But what I've noticed, though, is the trades don't seem to have a digital code. Uh, or if they do, I just haven't noticed them, uh, which is kind of odd because, like, you know, they, they do it on the single. So maybe that's part of the incentive of going single, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I want to have that conformity on my shelf. So I'm still buying them even though I've already read them. Plus, like I said, I, I'm not reading all of them on my computer. So I'm seeing them on a the small screen. And I like I still like to be able to hold the comic. Um, so there is that trade off. Like, you know, yeah, I, I probably don't need to buy them in physical. I have the content. I've read the content, but it massages my heart in a nice warm way, holding onto a comic. And I like that. And it's worth the money to me. <laughs> so I guess that's one of those things. You just analyze what you like, decide where you're going to go and just jump on that grenade. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, boys and girls, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, a podcast at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter 
Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. We'll actually hit you back within a minute, according to the uh, little info bar. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode or even The Force Awakens, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars canon universe or the Legends one or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you, like it was for me. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that Marvel will find another way to repackage old content in overpriced hardbacks in the new year. What are the odds that Dark Horse gets a license to continue Legends? Like, they'd be the only people really in a position to do that, right? I believe that. What are the odds? Oh, so not going to happen. <laughs> Odds are not in your favor, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> Marvel Comics. For those who didn't catch our last episode where we talked about the prose fiction and such, when we. And the cat's gonna start meowing. So, now I, I love send you. her out of the room, apparently. Close my door. Jody's not here. Okay, let's try this again. Uh, then we had smoke. That headache. That's. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize you were transitioning to me. I was choking on Mountain Dew. And so when this hit the the, the the when it hit the theater, like the idiot leaf blowers outside. For those who can hear that, we apologize. Oh, we I have... thought I thought your Falcon's motivator had blown. No, see, it's a compressor that was some idiot installed that you got to bypass. Um, good lord! And now they're outside my fucking window, pretty much with this fucking leaf blower. I oh, every time, every fucking time. Okay. We then have Empire Volumes. Then we add. Oh god! Damn you! Leaf blowing. <laughs> you blow. I would go out and yell at you, but not a single one of the people in the lo- in the crew that I know of speaks any in English whatsoever. <laughs> Seriously, like you're like, like. Excuse me. Can you move this trailer so I can get my car out? And they're like. Eh? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so? And I'm not even sure. It's and it's not Spanish that they're speaking. I don't know what the f- they're speaking. It's not Spanish that they're speaking. <laughs> they're speaking something I cannot recognize. Um, 
and I, I would think that I could recognize like French because it's close enough to Latin and I took Latin in high school. I have no idea what they're speaking. Whatever they're speaking, I think, hell, I think they probably just made it up. They made their own language for the leaf blower so they don't have to actually listen to people when they're leaf blowing outside when they're recording. <laughs> oh, wait, no, 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 they're right outside. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, it sounds like you got a bandsaw in the room now. Damn it. Now they're in the hallway between the apartments. God damn it. Uh, and for you listening in the blooper reel, I had to leave for 15 minutes to get my sick wife from work, which took the 15 minutes of the last of our quiet time. <laughs> yes, apparently. My God. <laughs> All right. Odds. Let's just keep going. Like, like you can hear me, though, right? Yeah, it's just I can a buzz hear you. in the background. Though. Yeah, it just sounds like you're close to a wood shop. Oh, okay. So we have here stuff that has already been collected very recently from Dark God <laughs> you, you <laughs> fing asshole! Did he just put it up against your window? <laughs> he went away! <laughs> yeah, he did! Came back! Oh my god! Tis the He's... season to be hoping that you fall and get killed by your own apparatus! Is he like, is like your courtyard the yellow brick road or something? God, I don't know. Okay. The following is a contest announcement from Star Wars Beyond the Films. All prizes are from private collections, and all entries must be received by February 29th. Hello, Star Wars Beyond the Films listeners. If you're catching this in the feed, then it's your lucky day. The chance for you to enter our contest tying into our multiple-part year-in review episodes that we do, of course, every year. Those are coming up here in the feed, and to celebrate The Force Awakens and the end of 2015, the beginning of 2016, we have a pretty large contest, a giveaway here with quite a few items that we will be giving away. Mark and I have reached a point where, in our fandom, we just sometimes wind up with uh, extra copies of things, for instance, or unusual things that may not be part of our collections, and rather than hoarding it like Uncar Plut might, we instead want to share the love a bit and hand these out as part of a massive giveaway here that we'll have to handle a little bit differently because of how many different types of prizes there are this time. Yeah, in fact, we've got a plethora of Star Wars goodies that we're ready to give away. In fact, are you new to the Star Wars universe? Are you new to Legends? Are you wanting to know the difference between canon and the expanded universe? Well, we've got some awesome goodies there. we got the 2015 Delray sampler, as well as the Marvel previews, and some other goodies. Nate, what else we got? Well, our prize packs are going to be pretty varied in terms of what is in them. What I think of as the biggest of the prize packs is for those who have not quite gotten into Disney Infinity 3.0. For those of you that don't know, Disney Infinity 3.0 was released, of course, on consoles and Apple TV and whatnot, where you play with actual figures. But every time you buy a figure, it comes with a webcode card. Because on Android, on iOS devices, and on PC, there is a digital-only version of the game where you play the same missions, you still get access to the toy box and everything, but 
In order to play with any given characters, you have to get them for that digital version of the game. So you either buy them in the game itself digitally, with real money, or you buy the actual figure, but have no way really to use the figure, and instead you enter the little web code onto the website, and it unlocks those characters for you in the digital-only version of the game. Now, Mark and I are big players now of Disney Infinity, which means we've got a ton of figures, but that also means we have a whole bunch of web code cards that we're not using. And rather than just having them sit around, we want to give those codes away via email to someone who wins part of this giveaway. So we have three different Disney Infinity web codes via email contest prize packages here this time around. The first one is enormous. I tried counting up the value of this, but it's just kind of insane if you were to try to get all of these figures through the app paying cash for them each time. So... First Disney Infinity Super Web Code prize pack for us includes web codes for, and again, just the web codes. We're not talking figures. We're talking the web codes that you need. You'd get them through email and unlock them in the digital version of the game. It includes the codes for the Twilight of the Republic playset pack that includes Anakin and Ahsoka, the Rise of the Empire playset pack that includes Luke and Leia, the Force Awakens playset pack that includes Finn and Rey, Plus, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Darth Maul, Han, Chewie, Darth Vader, Boba Fett, Poe, Kylo Ren, Kanan, Ezra, Zeb, and Sabine. Yes, every single Star Wars figure released thus far for Disney Infinity 3.0. But that's not all. You also get codes for the Toy Box Takeover and Toy Box Speedway Toy Box Expansions for 3.0. Both Tron Legacy figures, that's Korra and Sam Flynn. The one figure released thus far for Nightmare Before Christmas, Jack Skellington. Two of the three figures released for Frozen, Elsa and Anna. You get a figure for The Incredibles, Mr. Incredible. One for Monsters University, Sully. All the ones released for Pirates of the Caribbean, that's Jack Sparrow, Barbosa, and Davy Jones. You get a Mickey Mouse figure, and you get every single figure they have released thus far for Marvel. That includes the Avengers playset with Black Widow, Iron Man, and Thor. So the Spider-Man playset pack with Nova and Spider-Man. Guardians of the Galaxy playset pack with Star-Lord and Gamora. You've got Groot, Yondu, Ronin, Drax, Rocket Raccoon, Falcon, Loki, Hulk, Captain America, Hawkeye, Black Suit Spider-Man, Venom, Iron Fist, Nick Fury, Green Goblin, and for 3.0, Ultron and Hulkbuster Iron Man. Some of these are for 3.0 and play just in 3.0. Others of these Marvel ones play also in 2.0 with their playsets, and you can still download the app or download the PC version of 2.0 to play those stories as well. And these web codes unlock them in all different incarnations of the digital-only version of Disney Infinity. That is a ton of Disney Infinity figures. Essentially a complete Marvel set, Pirates of the Caribbean set, Star Wars set, and Tron Legacy set, and Night Before Christmas, I guess, including some other ones to go with them, all here in one prize package, all emailed to you as an enormous list of codes if you win this particular prize pack. We also have two more Disney Infinity prize packs, so call that first one Disney Infinity prize pack number one. We then have Disney Infinity prize pack number two, which includes... Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Luke, Kanan, and Vader. All of those web codes emailed directly to you. We then also have a Disney Infinity prize pack number three, which includes the Rey and Finn, the Force Awakens playset pack, the Anakin and Ahsoka Twilight of the Republic playset pack, plus Poe and the Toy Box expansion, Toy Box Speedway. We then also have three comic book bundles here. We'll call them again, one, two, and three. Comic book prize pack number one, is Marvel's Star Wars 
number 1 through 13, the current series. These are the actual physical comics. Now, granted, the digital code in each has been used to redeem a digital copy. So you will have the comic, not the digital copy. We have Star Wars number 1 to 13. Yes, that includes a first printing of each issue. None of these second printing, third printing stuff. So you're getting a first printing of number 1, plus of those others that have been reprinted over and over again uh, with their regular covers. Star Wars 1 to 13 includes Skywalker Strikes, that one Obi-Wan Kenobi flashback issue, The Last of His Breed, then the entire showdown on the Smuggler's Moon storyline, along with the first of that series' issues from Vader down. We then have comic prize pack number two, which is Darth Vader, number one through 13. Again, all first print, physical copies, but the digital copy has been redeemed from each one. In this case, that is the original Vader storyline, the Shadows and Secrets storyline, and the first of this series to be part of Vader Down. Then we have comic prize pack number three, which includes all five issues of Lando, all five issues of Princess Leia, and the first two issues of Chewbacca. Call it sort of a miniseries prize pack, but it's comic prize pack number three. Now, all of these are coming from those extra copies I was receiving through the subscription service through Marvel Comics. So they are in pretty good shape. There are some of them that have slight bends and such to them. I would say back in the day when it used to be graded good, very good, near mint, and mint, they're all anywhere between, I would say, very good and mint. It just sort of depends on the issue. But you're getting all of them as first prints in physical form for these. We then have some various oddballs. Let's go to the books. We have hardback copies available as prizes of... Battlefront Twilight Company by Alexander Freed, Before the Awakening by Greg Rucka, and Aftermath by Chuck Wendig, all as separate prizes here. We also have one copy of Movie Magic Magazine, which has the article in it that I wrote about The Force Awakens. Whoever wins that one will get a signed copy of that issue of Movie Magic Magazine. I'll sign either the cover or the page with my article, whatever the winner decides they prefer. Then we have, for those who are newer fans, we have three prize packages that include one 2015 Del Rey sampler and one Marvel preview comic that was just recently released. So a preview comic, a preview from the Del Rey stuff from 2015. Those together, we have three of those duos to give away. We then have four standalone copies to give away of the Marvel Star Wars preview comic that was recently released by itself. Again, four of those to give away. And on top of all of this, if you were to enter and not win, as long as supplies last, I'll be breaking out a stack of cards that I have. We have a whole bunch of cards that are basically my card. It's me on the front and information about Star Wars Action News on the back. From way back when, Star Wars Action News did a card set of all the people contributing to their show. A lot of folks have wanted these to be able to put a signed card of mine in with their copy of Star Wars Tales number 21 or Star Wars Tales Volume 6 or something somehow relating to that story that I wrote or something similar. Or just if you're a fan of the podcast, perhaps. So I will take one of those cards or a Wars card, which I have fewer of, that relates to something from my Wars novellas sign that card, and mail it out to those who don't win the other prize packs. Yes, for those who do win the other prize packs, I'll go ahead and include one of the Star Wars Action News cards signed in there with it, in case you got a copy of Star Wars Tales 21 you want to stick that sucker in with. So a lot of different prizes this year. 
Yeah, you ain't kidding. That's a Death Star-sized prize package extravaganza. Now, to enter, because there are so many, here's what you need to do. First, the entries are only via email. So send an email to swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. When you do, put giveaway in the subject line. In the body of the email, we need you to tell us your name and your mailing address in case you win so we can send you the prizes that you won. Although, granted, of course, if you win any of the Disney Infinity ones, we just send you an email with the codes. There's nothing to actually send through the mail unless you would like to also get one of those signed cards, which is fine. That said, we also need to know your top three prizes that you would prefer. Now, we can't guarantee that the prize you're going to get is the one you prefer, but here's the way it's going to work. You put down your top three. Number one, number two, number three. First choice, second choice, third choice. And we'll start drawing winners. And when we draw the first winner out, that person gets their first choice. We draw the second winner out. They'll get their first choice unless it was the one the other person chose. Then we'll go to their second choice or go to their third choice and so on and so on as we pull people's names until everything that can be given away has been given away. It's going to be a lot of packages for me and Mark to send out, but we thought this would be a great way to wrap up the year. Indeed. It's our way of giving back more than our giving you our voices over the internet, (laughs) which thank you for listening. (laughs) So again, folks, email swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Put giveaway in the subject line. Give us your mailing address and your name in case you win. And tell us what your top three choices would be. Again, those choices are Disney Infinity Prize Pack number one. That's that large one of web codes. Disney Infinity Prize Pack number two, which is the one that has Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Luke, Kane, and Vader. Disney Infinity Prize Pack number three, which is the Rey and Finn, Anakin and Ahsoka, Poe, and Speedway. Again, those are all for web codes. You will get emailed the items if you win those. Comic prize pack number one, which is Star Wars 1 to 13. Comic prize pack number two, which is Vader 1 to 13. Or comic prize pack number three, which is Lando, Leia, and the first two issues of Chewbacca. Movie magic. Aftermath. Before the Awakening. Twilight Company. Both samplers, which would tell us you want to enter for the Delray Sampler Marvel preview comic. Or simply preview comic. My guess is we probably won't have a lot of people making those last couple their first, second, or third choices, but it's always possible. Mainly we want to make sure that we're getting something to you that you can use if you are the first people being drawn. But we will keep drawing till everything is given away. Absolutely. So thanks for listening, folks. Happy New Year, and keep listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films. And may the Force be with you. Always. <laughs>